0: So we're going through the book of Revelation and we've said that this was a letter to a first century group of Christians who were struggling and the theme is perseverance. And so I want to just review real quick the big picture. So think about these struggling saints and and John is out on an island and, and, and the book begins a revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's not forget that the big picture is it's about Jesus. Jesus shows up to John and it's called a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to give to his bondservants. And so in the beginning of the book, it says, blessed is everyone who reads this book and abides by it. And at the end, it says, cursed is everyone who takes away from this book. So we have seen that a majority of the book is about John's visions. And so the biggest question, though, that we've been trying to ask is, are these visions something that's going to take place in the future for a little period of time? Or are these visions something that have been taking place since Jesus rose from the dead. And the pastors have been proposing that that's probably a better way to read it. However, we're not saying that if you think this is only the future seven-year tribulation and you're not going to be here, that's not a right or wrong. That's, that's a, a, a principle of interpreting the Bible. So as we've, as we've looked, we saw that It starts out with letters to the churches and Jesus says hey you lost your first love hey you're doing well this church you're lukewarm but then it begins with a series of vision judgments remember John sees God the Father on the throne he has a scroll in his hand and that scroll is the title deed to the earth and no one's worthy to open it and then the Lamb Jesus comes out and he says the Lion of the tribe of Judah he's overcome so he can open the scrolls and so that begins to show for us a series of judgments that God is pouring out on this earth in preparation for Jesus coming back to earth. So some of you, if I were to ask you, have you ever been in a play or a drama? You might say, no, but I can tell you this. We all are in a drama, but it's a real one. This planet earth that God spoke into space is unfolding purposefully. And every single person on this planet has a responsibility and an opportunity to respond to god and so we're so blessed to have the bible so that we can see what's going on and what's coming in the future and the consistent message of the bible is that god created beings who are responsible to him but adam and eve sinned and they became rebellious and so most of the people on this planet are in rebellion against god it doesn't mean they hate him and curse him they just ignore him and so the theme of the Bible is that God is bringing people back to Himself His way, not by being good, but by the, the grace of God as it's ultimately revealed in Jesus, as He shed His blood for sinners, and then He welcomes people back. Well, we're in history beyond the cross, and one of the things that Jesus especially emphasizes is to tell people He's coming again. And so the book of Revelation ends with the coming of Jesus and what's going to happen after that. But think to yourself as these saints are reading this book and they're seeing these judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, they need encouragement. They're, they're, they're wondering, what if I die, is it worth it? So in the middle of the book, you'll see where it's highlighted. We, we've been going through what we'll call a cosmic struggle. In chapters 12 through 14, John sees seven signs in, in a row. He, he goes, and then I saw seven angels, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. So this in-between section, we're gonna come back and start next week on the seven bulls. But let me go to the next slide now, just to just remind you, because sometimes review is really important. As John unfolds chapters, um, uh, do we have a slide on the, yeah. So this is actually all of 12 through 14. You've got the conflict of the dragon with the woman. So remember in chapter 12, John saw this woman giving birth to a child, Jesus. And, and the dragon was trying to overcome and kill Jesus, but Jesus went back to heaven, so he turns his rage to the church. And chapter 12 ends, this, this dragon is after the saints. Then in chapter 13, we learn that the way that Satan goes after Christians is through two beasts. And again, my read and many have said this is not talking about one guy in the future. This is talking about how Satan has always used the state and usually a leader, whether it was Nero or later in history, the reformers thought it was the Pope and ultimately a a state-run government that we await, but that the state always persecutes Christians. But we also said that Satan uses the second beast, which is false religion. And we talked about some of the consequences that they were facing in the first century. If you don't bow down and worship, you can't buy or sell. And we go, oh, would that happen today? Like, if I won't agree to certain things, you mean I might not be able to buy or sell or get a job or I might be arrested or persecuted? Absolutely. So we then came into chapter 14, and we saw John sees the saints up in heaven, praising God. And so we said he toggles back and forth between people in heaven and the struggles on earth. And so we saw that the saints singing on Mount Zion and then angels are preaching the gospel. So we're gonna wind up this section today where we're gonna see Jesus harvesting the earth and then one more victory song. It's interesting, as you're reading the book of Revelation, John will describe different events and then suddenly he'll take us up to heaven and we'll see Christians singing, and it's fun to go, what are they singing? What are we going to be doing up there? So join me as we begin in chapter 14, and I want to just kind of look at it this way. In chapter 14, there's a main thing, and that's the harvest of, of, of people on the earth. So begin in verse 14, and we're going to read down to verse 20. Now, in this agrarian society, they had several harvests. They had grain harvests and they had grape harvests, okay? They weren't at the same time. So this metaphor is gonna have a grain harvest followed by a grape harvest. Now, as Bible scholars and Christians have read this, some have said this is the same event. Others have said, no, there's a difference. So as we're reading, think about this. Is this the same event or is there a difference? Beginning in verse 14. I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. So we've got these two angels, and we want to ask, who is this guy who comes down, and this is a grain harvest. Now we're going to have a grape harvest. Verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather, now this time it's grapes, the clusters from the earth, because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters. But now notice how he describes these grapes from the vine of the earth, and he threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden, because remember, that's how they stamped out grapes outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now again, let me remind you that I do not think that these things are meant to be taken word by word, literally. In fact, to have 200 miles of blood up to a horse's bridle would be almost impossible. Even if you packed people together for 200 miles, the the blood wouldn't get that high, So, so it's an imagery. But let me just give you the big picture. This is what I think God is telling us in this particular set of visions. It's this. The Lord will deliver his followers and he will destroy those who didn't follow him. It's that simple. He's going to deliver his followers and he's going to destroy those who didn't follow him. So my suggestion, along with many other Bible teachers, is that 14 through 16 is not a judgment gathering, but this is the reaping of, of believers and, and and here's a couple of things I want you to think about first of all who is this person it says in verse 14 he's sitting on a cloud like a son of man having a golden crown on his head now at first it seems oh it must be an angel but many many Bible teachers very prominent Bible teachers believe this is Jesus because he has a golden crown on his head And also because he's the son of man. That was one of Jesus' favorite sayings, and that was prophesied in Daniel. I tend to lean this way. Now, why some people don't think this is Jesus is because of the next verse. How could Jesus have an angel telling him what to do? Look at verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice, put in your sickle and reap so some have looked at that said there's no way angels tell jesus what to do however i think there's a way to explain that and that would be this that jesus functionally subordinates to the father he does what the father tells him not because they're not equal but that's just their functional relationship so this angel does not have his own initiative just say yo jesus get down there he comes out of the temple so i would suggest that this angel is simply sent by god to tell jesus It's now time to go and reap. But what I want you to see here is that this reaping, I don't think is a reaping of judgment. This is a reaping of grain. Interestingly, throughout the New Testament, when there's a harvest of grain, that's good. That's the people of God. For example, when Jesus was on earth in Matthew 3, John the Baptist was preaching and he said, he's coming and he will gather the wheat into his barn. In another parable, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Remember the soil and the seed? But then he says this, when the crop is ripe, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So when there's a harvest of grain, that's usually a gathering in of the people of God. And so in essence, what we see in the Bible is before God destroys those who are his enemies, he delivers those who are his own so this is actually a comfort to us now the interesting question is he goes when the harvest is ripe that's a cool thought jesus knew before the foundation of the world exactly how many people and who would be saved he's not just winging it he's not just going ah that that's oh, we met our quota for the day in his providence The Bible talks about all those who have been predestined unto eternal life. Jesus said, I have many other sheep and I'm gonna call them to myself. And any day now, it might be, that's the last one. Now go get them, go get them, Jesus. Go remove them. Well, why would God remove his children? Because look at the second part. He delivers those who trust him. Now he's gonna destroy those who don't. So the second angel, is no longer Jesus. Another angel comes out which is in heaven and he had a sharp sickle. And this angel has power over the fire and he came out from the altar. Now, one of the questions is, why does he come out from the altar? And that intrigued me. And I remembered earlier, there are six references. I went back and looked this up. There are six references in Revelation to the altar. And altars in the Bible can have different purposes But in Revelation, the altar was the place first where the sacrifice of of the Lamb was poured out. But after that, it was the place where the saints were praying that God would destroy those who destroyed them. So the first time we saw this was in Revelation 6. It says, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And they said, how long, O Lord, will you refrain from judging these people? Then in chapter 16, we'll read it again. Oh, Lord, you judge these things and you are righteous. They poured out the blood of the prophets and now you're punishing them. They deserve it. And listen to what it says. And I heard the altar say, yes, Lord God. So here in this passage, the reason this angel comes from the altar is because it's it's God's way of saying to his people, I know you're getting a beating. I know you're getting a beating, but I see it. And one day I will send judgment. It's just like overwhelming to think that people in heaven right now are going, how long, O Lord, till you will avenge our blood? And this is when it will happen. And so what will happen? It says this angel has power over fire. And he says, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters. Now again, there are many ways that Jesus described hell. So first of all, when people go oh, my God would not put anyone in hell. I go, listen, you're welcome to believe that, but you can't believe that and the Bible because Jesus spoke more about hell than he did of heaven, not because he delights in that, but because he does not want people to end up there. So, so he would use analogies of weeping and gnashing of teeth, worms gnawing, smoke of their torment going up, fire, outer darkness, but in this case, he uses an analogy that each individual who rejects Christ will be like a grape and thrown into a big vat and crushed under the wrath of God. And so it says, the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trotted outside the city. You know what song that reminded me of? All oh, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has done what? Trampled out the winepress where the grapes of wrath are stored. Now, that that song may have been written or sung with, with a different perspective, but ultimately from Scripture, that's true. That one day, every single person, and that could be you, if you reject Jesus Christ and ignore Jesus Christ, it's not because he doesn't love you, it's not because he doesn't want to pardon you, but this is what happens to those who reject Christ. And so there's an appeal. God's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want that to happen. So I don't think here that this is literal, that God's going to take unbelievers and squash each one of them till the blood is up to here. It's just another metaphorical way of saying, woe to you who reject Christ. That's why Jesus died, so you don't have to go there. All right, so big picture. Again, we're reminded God's going to deliver us and God's going to destroy unbelievers. Now, John sees another sign. So remember, there was no chapter breaks. He says, and then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues. Now remember, we've seen this idea of plagues before and how often that John ties plagues back to the plagues of Moses. And he relates New Testament Christianity to the Old Testament saints and people of God coming out of the Exodus. So this angel, set of angels, have seven plagues. And as we, as we mentioned, in, in, later in this chapter, they're going to have seven bowls of plagues. So we saw seven seals. We saw seven trumpets. And now he's introducing us to seven bowls of plagues which are coming. You're like, tell me all about them. That's not for this week. Because John just puts that out there to introduce it. But now... In verses 2 through 5, he's going to take us back up to heaven. Now, just just think about this. Go back to chapter 14 for a moment. In verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed. So this is, this is really interesting. This is the third time now John's gonna jet us up to heaven and give us a preview of the singing, all right? Now, now let's just stop and, and, and ponder that for a moment, that, that there's this theme. And interestingly, when, when we're looking at this theme of singing, in Revelation 5, 9, and you can just write this down, it says, the saints up in heaven, now listen carefully, they sang a new song, okay? Worthy, now this time they go, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased to God for your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, okay? Here in fourteen three, which we just looked at, it says, and they sang a new song. Second time it says they sang a new song. But this time, he doesn't give us any content. Which, by the way, just a side note remember this that the most important thing about Christian songs are the content, not the vehicle. It can be rap, it can be rock, it can be reggae. That doesn't matter. What matters is the content. Is it Christ centered? Is it gospel centered? Is it biblical? It's not, does it feel good? And in fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, sing with your spirit, but sing with your mind. Singing is such an integral part of the Christian faith. And anyone who has the Holy Spirit in them will be drawn towards singing because the Bible says when the Spirit is filling us, we'll be singing and making melody in our heart. And that's why the Holy Ghost is always working in our heart to change our playlist. You know, some of you got to delete some of the songs that you're singing and let the Holy Spirit bring some gospel songs. But this time, this third time we look at songs, this one's not praising God that Jesus died for us. This is a song praising God for destroying unrighteous people. This is a song praising God for making all the wrongs right. You ever thought about that? When you're in heaven, we're not just going to praise God because Jesus died for us. So let's take a look at this. He says, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire. Now, the last time we saw a sea of glass was in chapter 5 when John said, I saw all the saints around the throne and there was a sea of glass and they cast down their thrones or their crowns before the feet of Jesus. Now, this is insane, like a sea of glass. So you picture like this crystal clear, you know, calm, ocean but there's flames coming out of it i was sitting there meditating on this a sea of glass but he says mingled with fire and those who had come off victorious from the beast in his image standing on the sea of glass now again that's just like let your imagination zoom you up to heaven for a moment what would that be like to be on this sea of glass in which Fire is 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 mingling and one of the things that revelation has is all these displays of beautiful colors and rainbows and gems The brilliance will like just blow us away But as these saints are standing on the sea of glass don't miss who they are those who had been victorious From the beast now. I'm going to loop around to that, but don't miss that those who had been victorious and here's their harps again, right? Have, this is why I told you, I already ordered my harp on eBay because i want to learn to play the harp so when I get to heaven, I can give you all lessons. I, I'm teasing. But third time, harps, singing. But look, let's just look briefly at the content of what they're singing. It says they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So, so they're actually doing some new composing. It's a new song based on an old song. But one of the things it shows us is the continuity of the Bible. The Bible is telling one message that God Almighty is the only one who gets all the glory. God Almighty is the only one who can deliver us. God Almighty, the same God who delivered Moses and his people through the Passover lamb, is the same God who delivers his people through the ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ. And so there's this one great story of victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story, but yet it's the same story. Remember the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. It really is the same story, but it ultimately ends with Jesus. And so this combination of the Song of Moses, and if you want to read about the Song of Moses, go back to Exodus 15, when Moses what God delivered his people through the Exodus. Remember in the Red Sea, they got to the other side and they sang the song of Moses. It's really cool to think about the richness of music. There's something about singing that goes not only into the mind, but into the soul. Isn't it, isn't it often the case that singing has a way of moving our spirit and our emotions And it allows for the creativity of the people of God. The psalmist said, sing a new song to the Lord. So when Paul says, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I remember once when I served as a missionary in Mexico for a summer, they would just open up the service and say, does anyone want to sing a song? And people would just come up and and sing a song. And, And we didn't give them a score like, 3.5 for melodic inspiration just people were just expressing their praise to god so when you're reading songs in the bible these are the kind of things that there are many songs that have been put or scriptures in revelation that have been put to, to to words right worthy worthy um the revelation song and here but look at what they focus on and then we'll wrap it up in this particular song it says they're gonna sing the song of the Lamb. Now, we know the song of the Lamb is, Thank you for redeeming us. But here they're gonna add this Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Now, think about how helpful that is when Caesar's gone, I'm the Almighty. And they're being told, No, no, no. You're gonna be singing, Lord God, great and marvelous are your works, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. In other words, God, it didn't look like it was going to work out. It didn't seem fair, and it didn't seem like things are right, but it will be. Righteous and true are your ways, O God. This is why Grandmom used to tell us, it'll all work out in the end, because God is going to right all wrongs. Righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations. How they needed to hear this when Caesar's going, I'm Lord, I'm King. And John's going, no, no. God Almighty is Lord and King. Stay true to him. And then, remember back in chapter 14, we saw this. There was an angel preaching, fear God and give him glory. This is the eternal gospel. The the, the theme of the Bible is that turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on you and learn to not live for yourself, but learn to give glory to him. So, So look how this song ties that in. Fear God and give him glory. Now when God comes back, We'll be singing, Who will not fear, O Lord God, and glorify your name? Think about that. The Bible says one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. So I had a lady one time say to me, Jesus gave me a handicapped child, and he's not going to be happy when he gets to see me because i got some things to say to him. And, 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 I, and I want to sympathize with her pain, but there's a whole lot of people that have that attitude. But I can assure you, when Jesus Christ begins to descend from heaven, people will, all of us, fall down. Who will not fear the Lord Jesus as he returns in glory? For you alone, O Lord, are holy. Only Jesus is set apart and unique. There's only two things in, that exist. Creator, God, and creation, everything else. God alone is unique and holy. And all the nations will come and worship before you. Why? Because your righteous acts have been revealed. Think about all the people right now. Yeah, God's smart. God's not doing anything. How can you believe in God? Why is he letting all these babies die? Why is he letting the pandemic? But when God peels back the sky and he starts coming back, True and righteous are your ways, O God. So as John gives us these words of encouragement and sprinkles in there to us, persevere, hang in there. I want you to think about just some concluding applications. So as we read the Bible, it says, pay attention to the reading of Scripture, but then exhort and encourage and comfort. So I want to give you some exhortations and some comfort. Number one, sometimes people hurt us badly and we find it hard to forgive them. Particularly, some of you have been hurt by an unbeliever. They cheated you out of your business. They stole your inheritance, a greedy aunt. They, they got you fired by making up a lie about you. And, and, and in some contexts of the world, people are being betrayed and put to death by, by their loved ones, being thrown under the bus by their neighbors. There's that sense in which our natural reaction is to sin against those who sin against us hurt people, hurt people. Here we learn to remember that God's got it all right here. And if you're like, God, how can they get away with that? Don't worry. The grapes of wrath are coming. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. When God asks you and me to forgive people, that doesn't mean he forgives them. He just says, please get off my throne and let me deal with them. It's not your job to judge them and destroy them. Vengeance is mine. So if you're struggling to forgive someone and you go, I'm only going to forgive them if they apologize. Here we learn that, listen, leave that with God. The Bible tells us to forgive others because God has forgiven us. Another thought. Are you willing to persevere against sin, Satan, and the world knowing that Jesus is coming? to rescue us, and to right all wrongs. If anyone told you it's easy to follow Christ, they lied to you. Jesus said, narrow is the road, and few are those who find it. It's not always easy to do what's right, to be faithful to Christ, but it's always worth it. And then a third thing is, ironically, one of the the responsibilities that God has given from cover to cover is he has asked us, his weak and frail followers, to pass on this message. You say, well, I don't mind talking about Jesus, but I'm not real comfortable telling them that Jesus is coming again to judge. But that's part of our responsibility. This goes all the way back to Enoch, who in the seventh generation from Adam, the Bible says Enoch prophesied about the coming of the Lord to execute judgment. In Daniel, Daniel said, many will wake from the dust of the ground, some to disgrace and some to everlasting life. Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, I'm coming again, and I'll separate some into everlasting life, some into torment. But God has entrusted that to us. In Acts chapter 10, this is what Peter said, and this is not apostles, this is us. He ordered us to tell people that God has appointed Jesus to judge the living and the dead. He ordered us to tell people. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you to preach the word, but he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of Jesus who is coming to judge the living and the dead. So it doesn't mean we run to the train station and say, Jesus is coming, see my billboard, you're going to go to hell. But we engage our friends and our loved ones and we pray for an opportunity to have a conversation about that. Hey, have you ever thought about where you're going to go when you die? And if they go, I don't want to think about that, okay, fine. But just this week, I, I, I was playing tennis, and I met a gentleman and just brought that up. Have you ever, as we talked, and I told my pastor, what, what do you think about if, if Jesus comes and he judges you? Well, I'm a good person, which is what all of our friends say. I'm a good person. Well, then why did Jesus die on the cross if you're a good person? So just an encouragement to keep reminding people Jesus is coming again. We're told in the Bible they're going to mock, but we're also told in the Bible to love them and warn them. And then two last things. I want to come back to this phrase. Those who had come off victorious over the Lamb. Peeps, that's victory in Jesus. Guess what the word "conqueror" is in Greek? Nike, nikao, to conquer, to overcome, to win. My wife and I were talking because we were bike riding yesterday. I said, one good thing is, is I'm not competitive and I really don't like to doesn't matter to me. And after she fell off the bike and had a heart attack, I'm like, some of us are wired that way. Um, If I'm losing in Scrabble, I'll stay up all night with that last A going. I am going to find a way to get 20 points out of an A. But Jesus Christ has, he said, I have overcome. Jesus has conquered. We win, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And he called us and he keeps us and so we can truly, in the midst of all this craziness of life, sing with meaning, there's victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his precious blood. I heard about that story, so be encouraged. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. We are more than conquerors, same word, through him who loved us. It's not because I hold on to Jesus, but because he holds on to us. So just cling to Jesus The victory is already his. And just Velcro your soul to the cross and let him sweep you in the tide of the gospel into everlasting life. But I can't let you go without asking you this. You grapes or are you grain? Now it's time to winnow. Are you grapes or are you grain? You say, what do you mean by that? If you're grain, then somewhere at some point in your life, you have made a decision that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid them all, and you have turned to him and trusted him and asked him to pardon you from all your sins and to change your life. That's what makes you green, not by being a good person, but by just responding to his invitation. Trust and turn to him. If you haven't done that, you're going to be crushed. And you could do that right there now in your seat. And some of you, I, I pray for you. I know some of you have not done this. And, I, I, it, and your loved ones are pleading for you and praying that you would turn to Christ and, and trust him and become a follower. So if, if you're not sure if your grapes are green, I can assure you this. Whatever is holding you back, it's a lie. Jesus said, no one who comes to me will I cast out. So right there in your seat as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I don't want to be trampled in your wrath for my sins. I want to be gathered with your grain and sing the song of the Lamb. Don't fight against Jesus. He loves you. Yield to him. Trust him today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you're coming again. And thank you that you will come to deliver us. And not because we deserve it, but because you're so gracious. Oh Lord, we long for that day when we will sing the song of the Lamb, when we see you face to face. And as unworthy sinners, we'll meet our brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. But for now, we live in a broken world, a broken country. Many of us are hurt or have been hurt by what we see going on around us and the nations and our government. Lord, help us to let go of all that and to trust that true and righteous are your ways, and it's all going to work out when God comes back. Thank you that we have victory in Jesus. I pray for the most broken, tender-hearted Christian who's just in despair today, that you'll lift them up and let them know, no matter what their burden is, whether it's their kids or an addiction or a marriage problem, that their victory is in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus has overcome the devil and the world. But ultimately, right now in your seat, if you're ready to to give your life to Jesus, just tell them the best you know how. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died to pay for my sins, that you rose from the dead, and you're coming again. And I want to receive your gift of eternal life and become a follower of the Lamb. If you believe that and you've asked Jesus, take him at his word. You can proclaim with all your heart, I was lost and now I'm found. I've been saved. Let us know if you've prayed that and we want to follow up with you. God bless your children today and let us celebrate Mindy and Rick today in Jesus' name, amen.